G'day you mob, how's it going? Welcome to this episode of Aussie English. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with CEO and host of All Ears English and the All Ears English podcast, Lindsay McMahon. So, Lindsay has recently launched a new business English podcast called Business English from All Ears English, as you will have probably noticed from the ads that we were running for a little while there. Go and check this out. But before you do that, have a listen to today's episode where we sit down and talk about cultural differences between American and Australian business. So, you know, what are the sort of differences that you would come across in Australia versus America? Are there differences in formality? Are there differences in the kinds of language that would be used, the different expressions, the slang terms, the jargon, everything like that? So, I think it's a really good episode, guys. I know you're going to enjoy it. So, let's get into it. G'day, Lindsay. How's it going? Hey, Pete. It's going great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, I've got you on the podcast today to talk a bit about American business culture versus Australian business culture. And you've got sort of three points that we can go through and talk about and sort of have an exchange on on our opinions of how things would potentially differ or how maybe they're the same. Yeah, I always find it really interesting when, especially when it comes to culture, when we think something will be very similar, but there are actually subtle underlying differences below the surface that if we don't look at them, we could blow up a business relationship, right? We could really screw it up if we don't have that extra level of awareness. So yeah, I'm excited for this topic today. Awesome. Do you want to give me a bit of uh, background maybe in your career? We were just doing a, a podcast episode on on your podcast, All Is English. So guys, <laughs> obviously go and have a listen to that, whether it's before this one or after this one. Um, and you asked me about my sort of origin story with Aussie English and we went through that and you were like, I've sort of got a similar story in terms of oh, not yeah. necessarily having the nine to five job for years and years and years prior to doing this. So, yeah, w- what was your background and how did you end up starting All Ears English? Yeah, so after college, I did not want to be an American that stays in their country their whole life, right? I wanted to get out. And so I went to Japan, taught English there for a year and a half, as far as I could get. Mm-hmm. The biggest city, you know, I never lived in a big city, I never lived in Asia. I was ready for it. I went. So that was Tokyo. That was Tokyo, yeah, wow. exactly. Uh, and then after that, moved to New York City and then took a year backpacking through South America. So I had my experience there um, and then ended up starting a tutoring company, and then eventually went to graduate school. And after that, started All Ears English podcast. Um, But in graduate school, I studied cross-cultural communications. So I sort of got a deeper look at, you know, what can we look for when it comes to culture and language? And what could really, yeah, what do we need to know when we cross cultures? So, but yeah, I never did a nine to five peak. Yeah, I know. Respect. <laughs> I love that we have that in, in, in common. So, w- when you say graduate school too, this is one of those things that differs between America and Australia. What does that mean? Is that yeah. is that when you come straight out of high school, you go to graduate school no. or is graduate school after university in your first degree? Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Graduate school in the US is <clears throat> a master. So, a master of arts, master yep. okay. of science. Yeah. Two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting too, because when I went through Melbourne University and I was studying, I did my bachelor's of science there. And just as I was finishing that, we used to do an honors year before potentially doing a PhD, but they had Mm -hmm. just switched it over to doing the American model of master's. So, I ended up doing a master's degree, which was two years. And it was that, 
you had a project, but you also had eight subjects that you had to finish over the two-year period. And so, it was really interesting that wow. during that phase, we were taking on the American model of a oh. master. And for all intents and purposes, it was way better than an honours degree. And it ended up giving you a better qualification as well, which was part of the reason for them wanting to do it. Okay. But it, it's so interesting you that your culture of- is bleeding in here too. <laughs> oh, that is interesting. They, the cultures bleed for sure. So, you're mm-hmm. saying you got kind of more the gen general education requirements in. You said you had the eight subjects. Were those more broad? So, you were able to build that broader uh, base of knowledge? Is that I think so. Yeah. Or- so, honours okay. degrees would usually have been, I think, maybe one or two subjects. But I don't think that they were mandatory. You would just kind of go and okay. do a statistics subject. So, you had the experience, but you wouldn't actually do the exams or anything on the subject to get that as part of your degree. It okay. would be more the, the honours degree was just the pro- the project that you were doing, I right? See. Whereas Got with it. the master's yeah. degree, yeah, it was effectively a full year's worth of classes and then a full year's worth of project. And they would be stats classes, genetics classes, Ooh. ecology classes, whatever it was related to your topic, sort of, yeah, as you said, more broadly. So you're going deeper yeah. than you did in your bachelor's degree and, and trying okay. to complement your project. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So we're on the same page. We know what it's like to kind of not go to the corporate world with our lives, right? Be in academia a little bit, traveling a little bit. And that's where we really see cultural differences when we travel, you know? Yeah, exactly. So you had brought up three points here to sort of go through and we can have a bit of tit for tat, right? We can have have backwards and forwards on these topics. So what is point number one? Yeah. So, I was thinking about how the US might be different. I was consulting a couple sources here. I was on the Navigator blog for the US and Australia com- country, navigator.com. They highlighted this idea, right? That, <clears throat> you know, when you're in the US, it's actually considered in many cases a good thing to be self promotional. And you and I have talked about this, the tall poppy syndrome. We mm-hmm. talked about this, I think, the last time we recorded. And I remembered that. And I was like, we should come back to that sometime. <laughs> Because it's really interesting how it's looked at so differently across Mm -hmm. the two cultures. Yeah. What do you think, Pete? 100%. 100%. Like if you come in, especially if it's you've just gotten the job or you're applying for the job. And the first thing, as soon as you said self-promotional, the first word that came to my head was wanker, right? which is sort of like (laughs) a, it's kind of a, it's obviously impolite, but it's not, it's not really a swear word, but it effectively suggests that someone is, is tooting their own horn, right? Too much, right? That they're just full of right. themselves. They, as you said, self-promotional and you're just like, oh God, yeah. So, and I 100% yeah. know that type, but I think, yeah, it yes. seems like that difference. We'll watch, at least as Australians, we'll get to know <clears throat> Americans, we'll watch TV and movies and we do get that feeling of you guys have to be your biggest fans, right? To, to be able to get the job or anything, you're the ones that are like, well, we've got, yeah. if, if we're not going to promote ourselves, no one else is going to. And Whereas, yeah, mm-hmm. in Australia, you would be like, oh, this guy's such a wanker. He won't shut up about himself or, you know, it would have That's that so different different feeling yes. about it. But it mm. makes sense. You would think, well, if he's not going to be his biggest fan, who else is? Like, <laughs> Right, right. I think it's a subtle difference, though, right? Like, we do have people that, you know, talk about themselves all the time. And there are definitely expressions in American English for that, too. And no one wants to talk about that. Talk to that person, right? At mm-hmm. the party who's always coming back to themselves. Yes. But I guess the context is a little bit different. It may be due to kind of the open market system in the States, right? Just sort of like rugged individualism, mm-hmm. super, super intense capitalism where everyone's sort of uh, enterprising, starting businesses, or at least historically it was the case, right? I think more in the business situation, like an interview, or it's good to be different, let's just say in the US. Like it's good to have a differentiating factor, something mm-hmm. about you 
that's quirky, that's unique, and it's even better if you've turned that in to a way to make money. Let's yeah. let's say that. That's kind of how we see self-promotional. Not always a bad thing. Definitely not good to brag all the time, especially <laughs> at a party, like I said, but don't well, be that person when you come to the States, right? Exactly. And that said, there are definitely plenty, well, we use wanker probably more frequently on other Australians than we do on foreigners. So there are plenty of them here in Australia who are self-promotional. So it's not like every single right. Australian doesn't toot their own horn. But yeah, it is interesting, yeah. these kind of like cultural dances that you kind of have to work out. And it it's quite often not spoken about. And if you were to talk to Australians about it, they may not necessarily even be able to verbalize what it is that's just giving them that feeling. And it would be the same for Americans, exactly. right? And exactly. this is, I think this is a big issue with women in the workplace and not that mm -hmm. that pay gap, right, is quite often women have a more modest personality, a set of personality mm -hmm. traits where they're not tooting mm -hmm. their own horns the whole time and they are trying to be more inclusive and include other people to help do a job, whereas guys are much more likely to be like, I can do it, I can do it on my own, I can do it better than anyone else, give me a pay rise. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, it's so true. You know, I've heard stories of people in the corporate world, not really, you know, men specifically, like not doing anything and just mm -hmm. getting pay raises and, you know, promotions just because they're sort of managing up, right? They are associating with the right people, talking to the right people, uh, reporting on the work that they haven't necessarily done, right? So mm -hmm. there At is At least a done alone, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So this is really subtle and it's really hard for us to, you know, break it down here on this podcast, but it's something I would encourage your listeners, if you do travel to the US and Australia, see if you can notice it, right? See if you can notice it in what we're saying and how we're talking to each other, when we're being self-promotional and when we're not, right? Mm -hmm. That's all we can say. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I think too, you brought up trust versus say task yeah. orientation as as a key difference. Yeah. How, how would you describe this? <clears throat> I love this one. This is really interesting. So, Americans are all about getting the job done, right? So, <laughs> yeah, hence get the expression, get her done, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Exactly. Exactly. Just get it done. And <clears throat> I was thinking about that when I was prepping this episode. I think what Americans want to do is they want to build trust, like kind of as a result of getting the job done. We've gotten the job done and now I trust you. Mm -hmm. Whereas I have a hunch, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, Pete, you know, in Australia, do, when do we actually build trust? Do we need that trust before we even start the job or does it happen while getting it done or is it more after it's been completed? What would you say? It's a tough one for me to answer, honestly, because I mean, as we talked about on your podcast, I don't have the greatest amount of experience in full-time work and, and working yeah. in teams. Yeah. I would say, you know, during my, my studies, I was always working with other people um, that were often, employed at different places. And so, I was in the work environment, but I just wasn't being paid. So, I did sort of experience yeah. it. Um, but I think, yeah, that a big emphasis, at least for me personally, was always rapport and, and trust with other people that you're around. And I think it was probably, yeah, as you say, developing that first and then yeah. worrying about the job much more than yeah. We just need to get this job done and I don't care if I can trust you or not because I think, yeah, the average Australian and it probably comes into tall poppy syndrome and, and talking yourself oh. up too much and then also mateship. I don't know if we've talked about mateship before, but this is kind of, no. I looked this up, the uh, how you would define this. And it was actually in the article that you found. I found myself mm -hmm. reading the same article. So, yeah. they say, Australians <laughs> believe firmly in mateship, showing loyalty to friends, family, and colleagues. And in Australian culture, people working in teams may be more loyal to the team than to their employer, uh -huh. to their oh, employer. Fascinating. So, 
And that I, I totally noticed wow. that when I was working in um in a cafe, so doing hospitality huh. work, we used to mm-hmm. all hate the manager. You know, we'd yeah, hate them. Well, yeah. One, she she was a bit of an <clears throat> asshole, so it wasn't. You know, right. most places probably have nicer managers, but we had a horrible right. woman. But mm-hmm. it had this counterintuitive effect of actually bringing the team together and us trusting each other a shitload more than we trusted her. And so yeah. it was quite often huh. more about us as a team than it necessarily was about getting the task done. <laughs> right. Not loyal to the employer, but the team. I, that's yeah. super interesting. Yeah. And then I think it also ties in, and there's just another point on this, and then we can kind of move on to the next mm-hmm. one, but it ties into to time, right? Time versus relationship. So in the US, uh, this is, yeah, I'm, I'm drawing broad stereotypes here, right? So there mm-hmm. are always going to be people who don't follow this rule, but an American business person would leave the meeting because another meeting is starting at 5 p.m. They're going to leave that meeting even if you're in the middle of mm. still working on something because the schedule matters more mm-hmm. than continuing the trust building, right? Like matters more than maybe than the relationship, right? Getting being on time for the next thing. Whereas in Australia, would you say that schedules are a little bit looser? What do you think? Or is it more kind of the American model where it's like it starts at five? If it starts at five, it doesn't start at 510. It starts at mm-hmm. five. Right. I think I think as you say, it's a broad sort of stereotype. It, yeah, there would be places where they would be a lot more strict, and perhaps there would be an American influence at those workplaces. You know, they right. could be international companies, or they could have a lot of American employees, or, or whatever. But definitely, right. when I was working at the museum, and we had American people, my my supervisor was American and his wife, but the emphasis did quite often become. It stuff goes for as long as it goes. It takes as long as it takes, but you need uh, to be all there doing it together. And so, and even when we were socializing, it would be the expectation of, what do you mean you're not coming to Friday night drinks? That's where we all hang out and get to know one another and build the team right. kind of mateship, that spirit. Right, you know, right. we, we get to, to know one another outside of work effectively when we're not worrying yes. about a certain task. So I remember there was right. quite an emphasis on that. And you would, yeah, you'd get to see a lot of, um, a lot of your colleagues getting drunk <laughs> and then just being themselves and being like, oh, okay, right. wow, they, they pulled the 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 um, curtain away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that part might be. And I found that when I lived in Japan too, that's super important in Japanese culture, kind of going mm-hmm. out after work, drinking with your colleagues. That's a little bit less so in American culture. I mean, people will go to happy hour, but it's a bonus. Yeah. It's like, hey, like maybe with your team, it's definitely not required or expected in any way. Right? Have, so, Have you seen the film Crocodile Dundee? Oh, well, yeah, it's a, it's an old one, right? Goes yeah, from the, the 80s. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, it is that classic, like probably the, the loosest, most relaxed Australian lifestyle, right? So, you know, yeah. Crocodile Dundee, the guy who's Mick Dundee, the guy out in the, the outback wrestling with crocodiles, right. and he <laughs> ends up falling in love with an American journalist. And they have okay. that tit for tat thing of she comes to Australia and is tot- totally out of her comfort zone. Things run on right. Australian time no one's hmm. punctual whatever and then he goes right. to america and he's like oh my god <laughs> and so it is a beautiful like movie for looking at those cultural differences between yeah. the sort of extremes you know she's from a wealthy family she, her husband runs a certain you know newspaper or whatever and they are they yeah. go out to a restaurant and crocodile under will be like eating with his hands or whatever and they'll be like what the <laughs> hell <laughs> so yeah that's a good film for those cultural differences <clears throat> oh for sure i love that yeah i'll have to go back and See that again. I saw that when I was like 10. So it's been a long time. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So point two, the average American business person may not have traveled abroad versus Australia. Yes. Yes. So I call this insular, right? This idea mm-hmm. of kind of insularity. You know, 
I, I feel kind of, it pains me to say this. And, you know, this is not everyone. Obviously, there are people like me who want to travel, who built a career around being international in mindset and traveling a ton. But the fact is, it's a huge country mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people that have never left the US. And, you know, it's possible that you'll encounter people like that in uh, in the business world. You know, people just, I think Australians travel a lot. That's my hunch. You could tell, let me know. But when I was traveling in Asia, I met a ton of Aussies. Uh, it just feels like the mindset, and this would bleed into business, would be more open to international events, uh, you know, history, just plugging the world into their daily lives. What do you think? A hundred percent agree. And I think we do have that feeling. I've always felt like it's, you know, if our countries are houses, you guys are sitting around the dinner table having a conversation with each other. And we're in our house and everyone's standing in a window looking outside. (laughs) Interesting. That's a great analogy. I I I feel like so that insular versus say um, we're always looking outwards, whether that's consuming your movies, your perhaps it's one direction. Perhaps it's just we're looking at America. But mainly, I think a lot of the world is always focused on you guys because you are such a powerhouse of content creation right of media of, right. of you're the most powerful country in the world and so you you demand the attention and get it from a lot of the rest of the world and so yeah but it is interesting i was wondering i, I looked this up i was like can i look up the stats of this because i do get that feeling mm. of oh yeah the oh, just yeah. from consuming material from america that the average american doesn't travel that much and i do get the feeling that australians pretty much every australian i meet has been overseas at some point it's pretty For rare sure. to ever meet someone who's like oh no screw that <laughs> i don't even have a passport you'd be like what how do you exist yeah, but the true. stats i looked up the stats um and it's apparently in 2019 nearly 40% of australians in that year traveled overseas so mm, it was almost 10, 10 million really aussies high. and our yeah, population is 25 million yeah. and when i looked at yeah. um the us it was 13.5% for the yeah. same year, so mm-hmm. you know, three Sounds times, right. three times fewer people were traveling overseas, and I'm, I'm much not just that. I mean, yeah, proportionate, right? Like to your population, yeah. you got 330 million, and it was something like 44 yeah. million people had gone overseas, and it would be interesting to know how many of them were to Mexico or to Canada, right? So that you weren't actually getting on a plane necessarily, or at least going to a different continent. Whereas yes. we pretty much have to do that to go anywhere else. You do. <laughs> there's no, you have there's to. no driving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those numbers feel about right. That's kind of what I was getting at. You know, that's the feeling. And it's a shame. You know, this past weekend, I was at a holiday party uh, talking to my partner's coworker. And this guy had lived, he grew up, I think, in South Africa. He's lived in the UK. He's lived all, all over the world. It was by far the most interesting conversation I had all night. And he was sharing that he has two girls. They're living in Colorado now. Colorado, where I live, is a fantastic place to live. There's a ton of sunshine, outdoor lifestyle. It's great. But he shared with me, and I completely resonated with him. He said, you know, my biggest fear is that my girls grow up and they live a great life in Colorado and they never Mm -hmm. know what it feels like to be uncomfortable. They don't have a second in their lives where they know what it feels like to be uncomfortable in any way. Right. And I said, oh, my God, I get you. I totally get you. And this is kind of the story of mainstream america right so that's kind of what you might encounter in the business world so for your listeners if they're trying to broach the topic of some international event or some history it may not work quite as well with your average american person so yeah it it is funny though too i've noticed especially when i was working at a restaurant the americans were always the most interesting people because i Uh don't know if it, it is because the most interesting americans have 
the need to leave the country, <laughs> see the rest of the world. And so you, ne- I never got to meet, you know, some, I don't know, that stereotype of, say, a racist right. redneck who loves Trump and, right. is, you know, hates everyone else. You would never meet those people really no, going around they Australia. Don't travel. Yeah, exactly. And it's probably the same. You wouldn't meet the same sort of people that Australia has over in the US traveling and trying to experience the place. Is it to, as as sort of an aside, do you think that there would be significant differences across the American landscape of which, say, states have the people that travel the most versus other states? Oh, no question. Oh, no question. I feel like California would be the most, you know, sort of, and and the, um, the, Mm -hmm. the east side too, right? The East Coast, and this is where kind of poli- I mean, we could get into a larger discussion <laughs> on politics, but it's where honestly, it's where uh-huh. our politics have become so toxic and divided. Um, on the coast, people are by far more worldly, more well traveled, just more aware that there is an outside world, right? California, Washington, Oregon, and then the, the whole Eastern Seaboard. Not mm-hmm. as much the southern states because you get into a bit more of a regional thing going yeah. on there down um, in florida New york city <laughs> but there is a term unfortunately in american politics coastal elitism mm-hmm. like coastal elitism and this has kind of been slapped on to democrats now yeah. because a lot of republicans who trump ended up kind of courting and you know gaining them kind of they feel disillusioned with coastal elites they think that they've been left behind. They think they're so much better. And it's really created a huge divide. It's a shame in our country. So it's between people that do travel and have an awareness and an interest in the world versus people who kind of want to stay in their own places. Um, mm. But yeah, toxic, tox, toxic politics right now. I wonder how much those groups double down on it, too, where if you are, I'm a Democrat Mm -hmm. and I'm from New York or I'm from, you know, somewhere in California, therefore I do need to travel. I do need to be more worldly and vice versa. Like, you know, I'm a Republican and I'm I'm from Ohio and work on a farm or, or, you know, have a family farm. So, screw traveling anywhere else. I'm not one of those, you know, haughty-taughty elites. I'm not going overseas and learning another language. I'm from this country. I'm from here, you know. I'm not even going to the next county, let alone. (laughs) Right, but it's so sad. Like, why does it have to be either or? You know, why, you know, as, you know, someone from the coast, right, if I say I'm proud to be an American, there's a little bit of a negative stigma there that I might Mm -hmm. get from my friends even by saying that that has other implications, right? That's one of those interesting differences, I think, between Australia and American culture too. And it probably bleeds into business is the amount of national pride Americans have. And that is that Mm -hmm. thing of like, if you, like, if I were to go out and say to the average Australian, you know, I'm a proud Australian, you know, in my country, I'm Australian, you know, freedom. But they'd be like, you're a fucking Nazi. (laughs) You're a Nazi, mate. You're a Nazi. (laughs) You need to be locked away. Whereas you guys seem, it seems to be a point of pride in that it's, I don't know, and it could go either way, right? It could be something that really draws your country together and, and keeps you guys, you know, as one group. And Australia is a bit more spread out and less proud of who we should be proud of but it is an, an interesting difference where i will notice that americans are much more vociferous much more vocal about how proud they are that they're american i i got a flag in my right. front yard and i'd be like right. geez you can't do that dude like you can't if i had an yeah. australian flag my house would be like firebombed <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's a fascinating topic and things have shifted you know over the years in terms of flying flags and mm-hmm. you know who really does that and you know where would you want to do that and and not do that maybe yeah. um but yeah that's it's it's a big topic Pete. but it's interesting <laughs> i think we all should try as much as we can you know if you know sometimes money is just not there to travel internationally fair enough we were just talking about how expensive it is you yeah. know to travel to south america but you know just getting outside of the region within the us is even you know something that we should try to do 
I think. So I'm making a recommendation to my fellow <laughs> Americans. <laughs> Where do you think Aussies travel to the most when they're going overseas? And I, I, I haven't double checked this, but I have a feeling there's two locations that I reckon would be the, the primary locations for Australians. I was I would guess somewhere in in Asia. So I feel like Malaysia or somewhere in Southeast Asia, Thailand. Yeah, getting close. Um yeah, uh Singapore. Too far. Mm, Japan. Bali. Oh yeah, I know. Indonesia, yes. Yes, 100%. some of the Aussies that I met in Japan had talked about Bali all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to mm-hmm. go there. Oh my gosh. I'd love to go there, but for the fact that there are so many Australians there. <laughs> like when I, tra- as you were saying, when I travel overseas, the last, the last thing I want to encounter is another Australian. <laughs> yeah, I want to yeah, get into yeah, the yeah. culture. Of I want to, you know, and I'm sure you can probably avoid them in Bali, but uh, yeah, and New Zealand would be the other one. New Zealand, that makes sense. That makes sense. I love anyway, that. so point three, mm-hmm. getting back to the the topic at hand, you yeah. wanted to talk about business jargon or sports jargon in business in the US, and this was again we were talking about it on the podcast with you that you guys use a lot of. Right sports expressions in the business yeah. world. Yeah. I mean, we're going to go out on a more easygoing topic here, Pete, right? Something easier <laughs> to understand <laughs> now that we've opened up that can of worms that we could go on. We're not going to go on there. It's just, we do use, I think sports is really, is a huge part of our culture. It, it you know, I know that soccer is a huge worldwide sport, but in the U.S. we prefer football, basketball, mm-hmm. baseball, hockey, those are the big ones. And, you know, there are expressions that come from all those sports, less so hockey, but I'm sure I could come up with a few. They're just inserted into business jargon. And, yeah. you know, you, know, you just said drop the ball, balls in your court. That's a slam dunk. Like they, they can be a little mm-hmm. cheesy at times, but mm-hmm. we totally use them. This, okay? this so gives me that vibe of like the 80s American business culture <laughs> in films where they'll have that. You know, what is it like the Wolf of Wall Street kind of characters? And Oh, my gosh. Do you yes. think a big part of it is those wealthy businessmen were also, for one reason or another, obsessed with sports? And that's what sort of it trickled down? Yeah, or do you think it trickled up? I think probably it was the former, right? They were yeah. wealthy businessmen and they were getting box seats. They were taking their clients to games. And so, yeah, it was a male-dominated thing, right, mm-hmm. at the top levels of corporations and therefore they just inserted these are talking to each other bros right talking mm-hmm. to each other exchanging this kind of sub language right mm-hmm. it's like speaking in code and i'm going to be an alpha then, male too so i love my right. sports yeah <laughs> exactly but one great uh recommendation i would make for your listeners if they can access the show ghosts it's a fantastic show it's just like half an hour once a week is on tv um mm-hmm. it is a, a story of all these different people from different eras in time in upstate New York who died on the property of a mansion. And there are a couple of them that come straight from the 80s and they drop all those cheesy expressions and phrases. So, I imagine this is fiction, right? This is not a documentary. (laughs) No, it's not a documentary. It's just a fun story. It's a fiction TV show, but it's fun because you'll hear all of them and you can laugh. That guy's from the 90s Wall Street. That guy is a camp counselor from the 80s. And you can see how the culture changed, all the references. It's just Mm -hmm. very rich. Yeah. So, when, say, I've got a bunch of listeners who are actually living in the US and they want to get into business, what do you think the importance is of adopting these kinds of expressions or, and more broadly just um, American business English when in that, that, that environment? I think, you know, go slowly, try a few. I'd say most important thing is listening. As you said, that's how you picked up French. Absorb so much listening, like more than you think you need. 
right? So you're used to hearing them, understanding them when they are used, and then you can start throwing them in if they feel natural to you. Some yeah. of them, they just have to, you're not gonna just open it up and drop this phrase and it feels totally <laughs> staged, right? It has to feel natural. You've been so waiting that whole day. You're just like, oh my God, it's coming, it's coming. I'm gonna find the- <laughs> Here it is, balls in your court. Yeah. Balls in your court, <laughs> yeah, that's it. You're like, I did it. Got it, yeah. score, score. <laughs> uh, yeah, 100%. I think, yeah, it is interesting. A, a big thing for me is always like, listen to what other people are saying and just mimic it. I mean, obviously don't do it in the moment, but if you yeah. hear people using that kind of jargon in the, <laughs> the you know business environment, then feel yeah. free to use it just and listen to the context. And it's the same thing. It kind of is loosely linked to swearing. Like, right, although right. people kind of set the bar and you'll notice between Lindsay and I, I swear more than she does. That might partly <laughs> be because I'm Australian and it may reflect a little bit the Australian work environment too is a bit, sure. sort of a bit more informal like that. But if yeah. you hear, but you don't, I, I would suggest not, say, walking into a room and dropping the C-bomb or the F-bomb and then being like, how yeah. are people going to react? Yeah. Instead, listening to what people are using when they're speaking to one another and matching matching that kind matching. of conversation, right? And yeah, if you want to learn exactly. expressions, instead of getting online and being like business expression list and then going to work, <laughs> try and listen out for when people use idioms at work. And then Completely. you know that's the context in which you can use them. So, these are fine to use at work. So, if you hear people saying, you know, he's on the ball or the ball's in your court, then you know, bam, I'm going to make totally. a note and I'll remember I can use this. And then that's how you, yep. you know, bring it into your vocab. 100%. We need a little bit of social intelligence, right? It's, it's, let's employ social intelligence when it comes to how are we going to use what we've learned. And definitely, as you said, Pete, totally agree. Stay away from those lists on the internet, right? Be careful <laughs> of those because some of them are definitely old fashioned and irrelevant yes. at this point. So listen to what people are actually saying. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, phone a friend, right? Like if you get a <laughs> if you get a list like that, probably have it vetted by someone who's a native speaker because yeah, sometimes I'll be yeah. reading these Aussie slang lists. And I don't know why I use an American accent there, but like they they'll have all yeah. these terms and you'd be like, oh, these are such stereotypes that no one uses anymore. Like Yeah, <laughs> it's true. You know, when we when we built our business English course in 2020, we actually decided in order to stay away from those lists, we surveyed mm -hmm. A hundred of our friends who do actually work in the corporate world, right? Who yeah. work at, you know, in all different industries. And we literally on the survey said, what words do you use at work? What expressions? Yeah. We just took those and we put them in the course. So we were sure to avoid any of that stuff that we were teaching irrelevant yes, business outdated. expressions. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so as a sort of bonus point here, how often would you use slang and, and even swear words in the work environment? And obviously, it's going to depend on the people and the type of work and everything like that. But do you feel like there is a place for that in American business? Is there not a place for it? How do you think it differs between Australia and America? I think it depends on the company. I mean, there I'm sure there is a place in some companies. My partner swears a lot. I've been hearing her swear <laughs> a lot lately, but she's the office next door now. Ah, <laughs> now that we're okay. working from home. So you just gotta soundproof right? it so you can't hear that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I think maybe more I, I don't know if she would do that in the actual office quite as much. That's the interesting mm -hmm. thing, right? So things may have changed a little bit with work from home, even though you're still speaking to the same people. It's just that you're online. Maybe that changes something. Um, but I have a feeling that you guys might swear more in general in business culture in Australia than we mm -hmm. do in America. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. And I I think a big part of it is that Australians, the tall poppy syndrome, the mateship thing, but also Australians hate formality. We, we, we really dislike, like if you were yeah. to call me sir in public, it would just send a shiver down my spine of like, oh my God, I'm just a normal human being. Please, please don't do that. 
You know, like don't don't put me yeah. on a pedestal as that tall right. poppy thing. So the tall poppy thing sure. can be people putting themselves on the pedestal and being like, I'm better uh-huh. than everyone else. Yep. And we also hate when other people put us on a pedestal. So you'll even notice, you'll find, you know, videos and, and clips of the prime minister of Australia swearing and using slang uh-huh. and saying, g'day, mate, how's it going? And <laughs> and really trying to avoid the whole I'm up here and everyone's down here right. because I think inherently he would just not get voted in if he had that kind of attitude. Right. Okay. I love that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that's another place where we see that tall poppy syndrome coming out right around that. Wow. The informality. It's a little bit different in the States. I don't think, I think we like it when people are familiar and casual in yeah. general, but we don't have that much of a reaction. I think when someone might address us more formally we might just correct them and say oh you know you can call me Lindsay. it's cool yeah no problem we can be we can be informal here it's okay it's, if they it's so interesting to be weird that would yep. be weird yeah 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 if you said yeah okay please don't do that and yeah. you just kept doing it, you'd be like you just being mean yeah. the weirdest yeah. i think where i see it all the time is obviously in american tv shows and movies where you guys have white staff interacting with people but also oh, yeah. the police and how polite oh. both both usually both the the public is to the police and the police uh-huh. are to the public because, again, uh... here in Australia, a cop isn't going to do that. He's not going to call you sir. He'll probably say, mate, you know, how's it going, mate? I've yeah. pulled you over because we've had this. Again, trying to lower that heightness of formality and be like, I'm a friend. Don't be afraid of me. I'm a friend. Whereas you guys have much more. And I don't know how much this is related to the the gun culture in the US. But because I think because of that, partly, mm. you guys are way more polite to to other people who potentially mm. are armed, right? Or when there's a gun that's introduced into the room, it's like- Everyone's on their best behavior. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Huge topic again, Pete. We're going to do yeah, a whole other episode to get into this. I don't even know if we could start. But, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean, we do. Yes, we do address police officers with a little more um, of that up language, for sure. More mm-hmm. formal language. I mean, there's lots of issues with race going on, especially right now um, yep. with gun violence and police and misunderstandings and and, and violence, uh, you know, un. Uh, hidden bias, sorry, illicit bias that people have. There's a lot going on in the state. So stay tuned um, mm-hmm. to this and, you know, follow the issue for sure. But w- my question for you would be just, just to finish when they're so informal, if they do need to kind of then step in and exercise their authority, is that harder to do once they've established that informality? Like we're buddies. What if they need to actually kind of physically? I- separate a crowd or there probably is that to some extent but i think i think obviously action really speaks so i think people are getting you're going to get the vibe right whatever they're saying you're going to understand when things are suddenly more serious and i have had that like i have tradies so um trades people come over and say an electrician or a plumber or something and it definitely does make you relax a, a lot more i was about to say a shitload more when they are <laughs> a little more informal with you straight off the bat, you're like, oh, this guy's right. relaxed. Okay, I have this guy in my house and he's not going to be awkward or weird. And he's just like, you know, how the fuck are you? Whatever. Like, I mean, not necessarily like that, but but it's yeah. just like straight off the bat, chatty, informal. And you're kind of like, oh, cool. It's just another authentic, you know, soul to the earth right. kind of person who's doing his thing. Yeah. And so I think there is this kind of informality causes people to relax a bit more around you in, in, in Australian mm-hmm. culture. Whereas I don't know what it's like in the US, you might see it more as a rudeness as opposed to, say, um, causing you to relax. I don't know. 
Hmm, I think it's somewhere in between. Like, I think it depends so much on the personality, the context, yeah, right? It exactly. just depends on where you are. It also, you know, this can vary across socioeconomic levels too. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, it just depends. It depends. I, but we're probably a little bit more formal than you guys are in, in many contexts, I would guess. Would, yeah. w- this is an interesting topic. Would I get away with more informality being Australian? Like you hearing my Australian accent, if I was in America, would you let me get away with the average thing that say an American, you would be like, this guy's being rude? I don't know if people would, this goes back to the insularity, right? I don't yeah. know if people would know that you kind of have that cultural permission in Australia to be more rude. I don't know if in their minds it mm-hmm. goes along with the accent. So they might, may not be aware. So yeah, they may be a little offended if they hear you dropping a lot of swears or surprised. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't traveled, haven't met Aussies, and they just know the accent, but they don't know other stuff that goes along with it, informality, swearing more. So that's not in their script. Yeah. Okay. Right? So that's that lack yeah. of experience. Where It's yeah. interesting here, say, if you've got a foreign accent, as in a non-native English accent, and you mm-hmm. are dropping words like get a mate slang terms, we love it. Right. If you've got a British accent or an American accent, we think you're being patronizing and rude. If you were to be like, <laughs> get that. a mate, how's it going? You'd be uh, like, fuck sure, off, mate. Sure. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, you just take it. Sense. It'd be like me being like, howdy, partner. You'd be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, okay. So you mean if, you, if I'm saying an Australian slang term, but not using an Aussie accent is what you mean, right? Like It if- depends obviously on the situation and you're going to be able mm-hmm. to gauge whether or not they're being yeah, yeah, rude. Yeah. But I think right. the average Australian is much more likely to be like on the defense if they hear an American yeah. saying, you know, like, get a, it's going to sound a lot more unnatural yeah. and it can have that sarcastic or Patrick, because that's when it tends to happen mm-hmm. the, the most from Americans. They'll be like, oh yeah, get a mate. How's it going? Sure. Get a. And you'd be like, no, all right, yeah, we get it. We get it. We get it. You know? Yeah, of course you think you're good at you're being teased, right? And the automatic yeah. kind of defense goes up, right? That I makes think total sense. The classic example would be, is it Dumb and Dumber where Jim Carrey's in a limo <laughs> and he shoves his head out the window and there's this, you know, beautiful woman. Oh, yeah. And he's like, where are you from? And she's like, Austria. And he's like, oh, Australia. Get a mate. <laughs> chuck another shrimp on the Barbie. And so that is right. like etched in our minds right. of just right. like, ah. <laughs> That caricature, it becomes, it's like a caricature, right? That, that makes total sense, but that's understandable as human beings. We don't want to be characterized and made fun of, but we don't want to be diminished or centralized into anything, right? We we are different. We are who we are. Um, That makes sense. I would feel the same way, right? You Mm -hmm. know, if someone were kind of in an American accent, kind of the the worst stereotype of American culture and pointing at me and I'm not that, you know? Uh, yeah, so it makes sense. I get you. <laughs> awesome. Well, man, we've covered these three points and it's been a lot of fun. Is there anything else you think, uh, you know, are these big differences between American and, and Australian culture at work or you think it's... Wow. And, and what I, do you I think, think we, about mastering those differences? Oh, man, we've covered a lot here, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think you know, we're just scratching the surface. We could have gone for an hour on any one of these topics, guys, but... You know, for your listeners, I would say just most important thing is be curious and especially be curious when it seems like it should be the same, right? Yeah. Your average person might think, oh, Australia, the U.S., we speak English or Australia, U.K., U.S., eh. you know, it'll be the same. No, that's where we could really get into trouble when it comes to doing business across cultures. There will be subtle differences as we've just talked about. So just be aware of them, be ready and ask questions, I would say. Yeah, and I think for any native English speakers listening to this episode, I imagine there won't be many, but for any that are, give people the benefit (laughs) of the doubt, right? Like if they are foreigners, whether they're native English speakers or not, a big thing is just that 
that charity, right? Assuming the, the the best instead of the worst. So if you interpret something and it seems rude or it seems incorrect, I would say err on the side of giving people the benefit of the doubt. If they swear where they shouldn't, if they use informal language yeah. where they shouldn't or formal language where they shouldn't, you know, you just you yes. just have to just let it be water off a duck's back and assume the best intent, not the worst. It's just a better way to go through life, right, Pete? Just assuming the best, right? We do, it just it's a kinder way to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's much much easier on your own heart if you know everyone's just doing their best. Not everyone's aware of all of these things. So, as you said, give them the benefit of the doubt. So mm-hmm. good. And be just be aware though there are wankers out there. They'll get you. So just keep an <laughs> eye out. So if they do it if they Stay do it twice, that's when you know, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Lindsay, um you've you've just launched a Business English podcast. Give us a quick mention about yes. that too and where people can yeah. find it. Yeah, thanks, Pete. So we just launched a, as I said, it's called Business English Podcast. It's a basic title, but it's from All Ears English. And you guys can find it if you go ahead and open up that search bar wherever you're listening right now and just type in Business English from All Ears English. And you will see the yellow. We have three shows now, IELTS Energy, Business English, and All Ears English. And we've curated our episodes that are just about business, especially social topics in the business workplace. So how do you invite your colleagues out after after work if you do do that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we do it less often in the US than in Australia, I guess. But how do you uh, wish your colleague a happy birthday and heavier topics where we'll have actual CEOs and you know coaches on the show and interview them. So guys, go and sign up for that if you use business at work in any way, English in business in any way. And I hope to see your listeners over there. Awesome. Well, Lindsay McMahon, I'll let me do that again. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Lindsay, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Where can people find out more about your main podcast too or your website? Sure. Yeah. If they don't know about the main podcast, the bigger show, it's called All Ears English. Uh, It's a big show, guys. Go over and check it out. And you can always find us as well at allearsenglish.com. Awesome. Thanks, Lindsay. Hope to have you on again soon. Thanks for having me on, Pete. I've enjoyed our chat. (laughs) 